covering the Babylon 5 Season 2 episode in Knives. Um, this episode is kind of the reverse of TKO. Whereas TKO had a pretty awful A plot and a pretty good B plot. Uh, arguably an amazing B plot. This episode has a pretty awful B plot and a pretty good A plot. The, the thing is, is that the Sheridan plot, the Sheridan B plot, is very much very it's a very traditional story very standard ordinary um alien possession story and then at the end of it you find out oh the alien is just uh completely harmless it just wanted to get away yada 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 it is very bonk standard. You've seen this story a thousand times. You're going to see it a thousand more times. It's just the kind of story you see a lot. Especially in science fiction stories. And science fiction television. Which at the time anyway. And uh, in certain areas still is. Episodic in nature. Um, and it, it it's very by the numbers. Just be honest. It's not... It's not great. It's not bad either. It's it's that kind of story that you turn your brain off when you're watching it because you're just like, okay, I've seen this before. It can be entertaining, uh, and uh, some of the insights we get into Sheridan's character, um, uh, you know, is interesting enough that he loves mysteries, which has kind of been talked about before, where he, he, he collects information on conspiracies and stuff like that. That was mentioned in um, the episode with Project Lazarus in it. I'm blanking on the name at the moment. Um, and he, he, he's, uh, he, uh, he's a very hands-on person. And his, uh, he, he, the, the, death, the death of Anna weighs on him. Uh, and we even get to meet his parents, hilariously. Uh, you know, his father is going to be played by someone else entirely later when we see him. Uh, I don't think it's spoilers to say that, hey, someone's parents are going to show up later in the series. Like, it's, it's not like a massive plot spoiler. It's just a... Hey, this character is going to show up again. Uh, and it's it's interesting enough, but it's not it's not good. It's not bad either. It's just kind of there, you know. It's it's very disappointing. Um, I I think when something is middle of the road, um, it's more disappointing. Than it is when it is super bad. Because when something is middle of the road. Um, it has both good and bad qualities. And you can appreciate the good. And accept the bad. Or or, or look at the bad. And uh, analyze why it's bad. But still say well it has some positives. Um, if something is just flat out bad. You can make fun of it. You can... Uh, look at why it's so bad. Um, a good example is um, so so, uh, so bad there are good movies like The Room um, or Trolls 2. You know, there there's no redeeming qualities about them, but that's why we like them. 
uh, something that's more middle of the road, just sort of there, it exists, can sometimes be more aggravating because there is nothing to justify outright hatred of it or absolutely loving it. It's just kind of there, you know? And I, I think that is the greatest flaw of this B-plot is that it kind of drags down what is otherwise an interesting A-plot in regards to Londo. Um, so the Londo half of this episode is the good half. And I think it all it, do, it does suffer a little. I will say um, the actor who plays Urza isn't all that great. He hams it up a little. And uh, his delivery is not the greatest. Uh, that's personal taste, maybe. I don't know. Um, and I do think that the opening, uh, the cold open cliffhanger, the teaser, whatever you want to call it, is very cheap. It is the epitome of, uh, of playing to the commercial, playing to the title sequence. It is... It's something that plagues uh, TV shows to this day. Um, I mean, in the the advent of streaming television has kind of got in, in pre in premium cable has gotten rid of the need for commercials in certain avenues. Like if you watch a Game of Thrones or you watch a a, a Netflix show or any any of those kind of shows they don't have commercial interruptions so they don't have to do the arbitrary cut the black uh, you know come back the point of a cliffhanger is to keep your audience wanting more i'm an avid reader of comics comics and on cliffhangers all the time but they have 22 pages to keep your interest and then they have a month they have a full month sometimes more depending on the publisher before they will, uh, you will, they will get your money again, which means they have to end on a cliffhanger that really hooks you, that keeps you wanting to come back in thirty days to pick up that next issue. TV shows have an even bigger problem in the fact that they have to end on a cliffhanger at every commercial break and in before the title sequence as well, in hopes to hook viewers in. It's not just to keep the audience that is there enticed, but also to hook new people. Um, th this was a th this is a, a very much a old TV standard, and it's not really gone away, but it's less thought about nowadays. But uh, you would place particular shows um, after big events. Um, to to hook that other audience. So let's say uh, a big American football game was on, and then you play the show right afterwards. The idea is that maybe they're they they don't notice the TV's on. They forget to turn it off while they're in the kitchen or something, uh, or they get a glimpse of something, and that audience is now hooked and they want to see more, thus increasing your ratings and blah 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 more money. Um, a good cliffhanger will do that to you. Will make sure you want to come back. You want to see it, and uh, depending on the amount of commercial breaks you have, is depending on how many cliffhangers you have to do. Uh, and this cliffhanger is 
Urza comes comes behind Londo and is like, "It'll be a pity that you have to die." Ah, oh, la la la, you know, uh, that 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 kind of jazz, and it's it's dramatic for the sake of being dramatic, and it is it, immediately the moment the end of the title sequence happens. You know, uh, the year is twenty two fifty nine. The name of the place is Babylon Five, and la la la, la. and then. Oh, I you know, uh, it, it's it's my friend Urza, la 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 la. You know that 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 kind of thing. It's not. It, it's not smart cliffhanger writing. It's very much this was done because that is way television is made. We didn't do it because uh, the story demanded it. We didn't do it because this was a good place to end. It was a cheap, dramatic turn simply for the sake of a dramatic twist, quote-unquote. And it's not threatening. It's not shot well. It's it's obviously a joke, and it's treated dramatic. It, it was just badly done. It's a very cheap way to get views. It's artificial. Um, but everything else besides the cheap cliffhanger, uh, you know, I don't mean to be too negative on this episode because it's not a bad episode. It's just not a great episode, especially because in the shadow of Zaha Doom is so good that you're, you're, you're coming off a high and then it's going to, it just kind of plummets down a little. Um, so the rest of the episode is fantastic because we get Urza and Londo um, are they, they act in a way that we instantly understand that they are old friends and this is the context of the story and Urza's family is being uh, targeted by the new regime that Londo has incidentally helped set up in the, 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 the in, in the Centauri government and he, there's a resolution that's going to be passed that is going to declare uh, uh, that's going to basically destroy Urza's house and declare them traitors and uh, this is all because Urza dared to speak out against the coming of the new guard. He dared to defy them and say I don't I don't think this is the correct course of action. You, uh, to quote him in the front later in the episode, you cannot build an empire on slaughter. Uh, and he's revered as the hero of Gorash. And that, that, that's something that's very important, is that, uh, you know, the, the pretty much the entire... Uh, point to the Sintarni, as I've been as I've been mentioning, is that they are um, glory seekers, but they're also nostalgic for the past. They revere the past to such a jingoistic level. They believe that they were uh, they were perfect. The you know that it was the glory days. It was it was the golden era. It was the, the way things should be, and. If you notice, a large majority of the people, like Rifa, Cartesia, who sees the world as they do, and he's the, now the new emperor, all of these people are young, up-and-coming, inexperienced to the Centauri way of life. 
Londo's older and thinks to this this way in a certain certain extent. He's not as extreme as all of them, but he certainly has a bit of uh, glorifying the past um, that that they do, um, and Urza knows war. He knows what it was like to be the conquerors. He's old enough. He was the hero Gorash. And Londo even served with him. And Londo still has a bit of a uh, uh, glorification of the past. But Londo wasn't the hero. Uh, he, he he wasn't someone that, that fought in this great battle. But that's the way they see it. Urza sees it entirely differently. He, he, he talks about that he... He saw the, the, the merciless slaughter that that happened at Gorash, and he doesn't want that to happen again. He doesn't believe in it anymore. That's when he stopped looking at the past with rose-colored glasses and started realizing he woke up to anything that tries to justify that amount of, amount of destruction and... Uh, debauchery they just the butchering people uh the, the, the uh, anything that tries to justify butchering that amount of people uh for any any reason at all is false and he sees right through everyone and londo is now stuck between rock and a hard place he's he's stuck between his the duty to his house his uh station his uh, way of doing things now. His his way of being. His he's he's following the new guard, uh, trying to temper them. Yes, but he's following them. And in he and he's also stuck between that and the duty to his friend Urza, and he goes to Briefa, and he tries to bargain with them, and you know says that I will vouch for Urza's family. He's not doing this, and and Rifa tells him in in all but actually saying it, you know, no, this is not the way things are going to be done now in our version of Centauri, the Centauri government, the Centauri Republic. This is not the way things are done. This is not the way things were done in the past either. Um, and Urza even points out that that Rifa was the one that passed the re resolution against his family. So, when Londo when, when Londo finds out that he's not getting anywhere with Rifa, he he doesn't know what to do because he, he while he disagrees with Urza, he does think that the Centauri should return to their conquering ways. He does also care for his friend, and that that is good character drama. That is what I come from to Babylon 5 for. Not whatever the Sheridan plot was, which was some sort of uh, bonkers, by-the-numbers, uh, sci-fi plot. I come for the characters, the character drama, the politics. This is what Babylon 5 is. It, it, is, in, it is in that dichotomy... Uh, in, in 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 this situation that that Londo has to take the life of his friend because uh, because Urza challenges him to a duel. But one thing I like about this is that the, the, this is the beauty of Babylon Five is that even when it is 
in part of this episode anyway, doing very standard by the number stuff, it still manages to subvert the way you think things are going to go. We know Londo's the main character. We know that he'll probably win the duel, uh, especially since it was a duel to the death. But you know how in TV and in movies and any dramatic work, there's always like the hesitation before someone does the killing stroke. Babylon 5 has the audacity to do that and then give a reason for it. Urza wanted to be killed because in the roles of the Centauri, if he's if he's killed, his family is now owned by the winner of the duel, meaning that they are now of House Malari, which means they are now protected from the new guard coming in. Uh, they are now protected from the resolution. They are protected from everything that will happen to his family. They are now Londo's family. And it's a situation where he wanted to lose. He had to lose. Because when he lost, he won. If he actually won the physical duel, he would have gained nothing. Nothing at all. So, it was a gambit, and he did it. And he knew that Londo would probably do what he needed to do. He trusted his friend enough. It, it was a smart political play, but also really good character drama at the same time. Uh, like I said, half a good episode. Uh, I really did not care about the Sheridan stuff. Um, but the Londo stuff, really good. Um, I will get into spoilers real quick because I do want to talk about the Sher the the Sheridan stuff and what I think it represents. So spoilers here. What I mean by what I think the Sheridan side represents is that I felt like um it was kind of that bog standard sci-fi story, and I mentioned this, but there's a lot of weird connections that it has to future stories, complete with the very next episode coming up. Um the Marg Cab are mentioned and shown. Uh, the, the, the body that Sheridan finds is a Markab, and it's mentioned that the Markab are strictly religious, and, uh, Franklin mentions he has a Markab doctor friend, um, and all this will be important for Confessions and Lamentations, because, well, the plague that strikes out, and, uh, the gray sector of, uh, uh of Babylon 5 is mentioned as sort of being a triangle, uh, strange occurrences happen there. The setup for Grace 17 is missing. One of the worst episodes of Babylon 5. Uh, e though, another paradox, because it has a good B-plot. Um, and then, just everything with Babylon 4. Obviously, Babylon 4, the big revelations of what's going on with that. It's going to come up next season. Uh, Sheridan's dad. Uh, the Icarus being brought up again. It feels like filler, but filler that was designed in a way to get the audience thinking about things that will be important later. So instead of properly foreshadowing anything, instead it is done to say, hey, you remember this? It's going to become important. Sort of nudging you on the shoulder, you know, hey, 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 pay attention, pay attention. You know, that, that that kind of behavior. It, it, as I said, it was really, 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 really weak. 
it wasn't bad. It's just kind of by the numbers. But it, it felt like it was designed to foreshadow uh, in a bad way things to come, including the very next episode, Confessions and Lamentations. But that's my thoughts, you know. Um, I could be wrong. It just felt like it was a way to remind the audience, hey, remember Babylon 4? It's going to come up again. Hey, pay attention. The Markab, the kind of religious, uh, you know, this is going to become important. Uh, Franklin's got a Markab doctor friend. And uh, remember that Sheridan lost his wife in the Icarus? It's not like the last episode was entirely about the Icarus, but whatever. Um, serialized television especially in its early days, can be a bit of a headache uh, because they they sometimes have to play down to the audience, assume the audience doesn't know, um, and catch you up to speed in very um, contrived ways. And this felt contrived. But that's my opinion on what I thought of the, the, the B-plot and what it was there and designed to be. Because otherwise it is pretty much a bog-standard science fiction alien possession story. Anyway, uh, Knives, half of a good episode. Uh, I will see you next week for Confessions and Lamentations. Bye.